right. How you guys doing? We're already off to a good start. Anybody already been receiving some things from God tonight? I think that's worth acknowledging. That's the, that's the goal of why we're getting together. We're wanting to encounter God. We're wanting to connect with each other. And we're wanting to be equipped because you guys have work to do. You have work to do. There's so much discussion around purpose in especially our generation. Our generation talks about purpose a lot more than our parents' generation. Our parents' generation talked a lot more about provision, about work, about doing what you need to do. And then what we started doing was whatever we want to do. And there's a lot of good to that, but there are also challenges in that because if we don't have our purpose from the right place, then we waste a lot of our time. But you have work to do. You have an assignment on your life. God created you with a purpose in mind. I didn't always live like that. I always have lived like I'm going to do something. But I have not always lived like God placed me here to do something. There's a difference. If you, you can do a lot of things. And you can be determined to do things. But there's a difference between doing a lot of things and doing what God placed you here to do. And we were not only placed here to do, we were also placed here to be and to commune and to be known and to be loved. And all those things are true. But we were also placed here to do. And I feel charged, especially in this season of my life and in this season of our ministry, to remind you of that every chance that I get. Because when you leave here, there are so many voices, there are so many people trying to speak into your life, and everybody's really trying to tell you a direction to go. And you don't even realize how much you're being directed and instructed and shepherded all day. Your job has things they want you to do. And your job has a plan for you, if you have a job. Your job has a plan for you, and it's a plan that benefits them, which is not a bad thing because that's why they hired you. So that's not a bad thing. But you got to know that their vision for you is ultimately about their vision for the bigger picture of the company. Why am I saying this? Because a lot of us can get so locked in to the direction of just our career and not realize that we're not really following God. Your school, if you're in school, they have a direction for you. They have a vision for you in mind. And it's all, the root of it is the prestige of that institution. Again, not a bad thing, but you got to know that they have a vision for you. So you're being preached to all the time. Your job gives you incentives to do things for you to grow within the company so that the company can grow. That's not necessarily because it's your purpose. That doesn't mean you abandon your responsibilities. That does not mean you leave your job. That doesn't mean you don't do those things, but you cannot think that just because you're doing those things that you're doing what God has placed you here to do. Your parents have a vision for your life, 
I don't know what your parenting situation is, uh, but if you have any level of relationship with your parents or or either of your parents, they have a vision for your life. And many times they will have instruction with your best interest in mind or their idea of your best interest in mind, but they have a vision for your life. Your friends have a vision for your life. I don't know if you've realized this, but it, it comes up in conversations, suggestions that people make to you. Siblings have a vision for your life. So have, has anybody realized this, that people have expectations for you? The people you enjoy following and listening to, your favorite podcaster, your favorite artists, right? Your, your favorite influencers, everybody's pointing you in some direction. And most of those people, not that, there are Ill intention, not that there are ill intentions, but the reality is most people are directing you according to what they want. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into this and not even realize we're falling into this. And we'll think that we're like acting just on our own accord and living out the vision that we have for our lives. And we don't even realize that a vision has been constructed for us by somebody else. And that's dangerous when it's not God. God has a vision for your life. And so in these years, in this young adult time, like I said, I feel charged to make sure that we are going to accomplish that. I don't want you to get swept into wasting your time, wasting your years, wasting your youth, wasting your energy, because God's kingdom is still advancing. And he wants you to be a part of everything that he's doing. And the safest place for you to be is within what he's doing and within who he is. But the most tempting place for you to be is wherever you want to be. Has anybody wrestled with being where God wants you to be? A few of us. Has anybody wrestled with doing what God wants you to do? Okay, a few more of us. We wrestle with it. You don't have, I'm not saying you're in sin. I'm not saying you're totally outside the will of God, but all of us, we wrestle with it. Have you been wrestling with what God wants you to do? Have you been wrestling with any level of uncertainty? Yes, no. (laughs) I'm just wondering. Because I know that we need to have real conversations if we're gonna get real results. And I'm not here to just give you a nice talk. We're here to get results. I believe that God has real results for your life because he's alive. He's a living God. He's, He's really God. And I know that the temptation for me is to shrink him down into my current circumstances, into my current questions, into my current concerns, my current doubts. And sometimes I need to be reminded of who he really is and that he still has a plan. And when I can just lift my head up a little bit outside of what I have going on, I can see, oh, there's still a lot to do. What is going on right now is not the most important thing that's ever happened. And I think he still has this stuff figured out. And it's very important for me, I'll just say personally, to embrace that because, I mean, if you haven't seen, we have some life change going on on our end. My wife, Gabrielle, and I, 
Got baby number two on the way. We have a quick video. It's only seven seconds, just in case you haven't caught it. You can see the rest of the video with her crying if you want to go on social media. But baby number two's on the way. She's going to be here in December. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Life is changing fast. Life is changing very, very fast. Life is changing very, 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 very fast. And there's, there's a measure of uncertainty that comes with that. Like, all right, how are we going to do this? Like, for real, for real. Like, sounds good, but how are we going to do this? Like, what's, what's sleep going to be like? Like, how am I still going to do all the things that I need to do? I don't, I don't know. And so, there's an element of uncertainty. And the temptation for me is to focus on circumstances, focus on uncertainty, uh, and to try to figure everything out. And when I do that, many times my, my eyes get off the prize, my eyes get off the the long-term goal, and I need to come back to the space of remembering that God has me here for a reason. He has us here for a purpose, and he still got it figured out. Take a deep breath. <sighs> Say he's got it figured out. Tonight, I want to talk to us about going into the deep. That's the title of tonight's message and we're going back into the scripture that we started the year with. Because like I said, God has work for us to do. And at the very beginning of the year, we started talking about some of the things that, that I believe God was saying he wanted us to do this year as a group, as a congregation, as a family, as a community. And it had a lot to do with reaching out to the people outside of here in our immediate spheres of influence, in our places of work, education, family, friendship circles. Uh, I believe that he's been speaking to you about doing more ministry. Yeah, like ministry, that's, that's more than just inviting people to hear me preach. Love that, I love what I get to do, but God also has a little bit more for you to do. And so we started this year in this passage where Jesus recruits his first disciples. And we read it at the beginning of service. If you weren't here at the beginning of service, then you missed out. And I encourage you to start getting here early because we switched things up a little bit. And we're reading the passage of scripture together at the beginning of service and taking a chunk of time to just discuss it and hear what God is speaking to us personally and discuss it and then pray together just in small groups. And I think it's phenomenal. And God is, I'm sure, has already spoken to some of you guys some things that he didn't speak to me specifically about this tonight. And so you're gonna get a whole meal because he fed you already with some specific things that you have going on. And then you're also gonna hear what he's speaking to us as a group. And so in Luke chapter five, verses one through 11, says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. If you don't know, it's talking about Jesus. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, 
he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Take a sip of water. So, I want to talk about a few things that really stuck out to me when it comes to us. Because if you go back to January, uh, the first full house message that I preached, uh, I preached three different points out of here. And so I encourage you to go listen to that if you haven't heard it. But tonight, I want to talk about a few things. And one was Jesus prophesied to them. He, he gave this, this whole experience as an illustration of something that was to come. He prophesied to Peter and said, from now on, you will be catching people. This, this whole catch of fish was not really about fish. These were professional fishermen and they had fished all night and they caught nothing. And that was the, the time that they were supposed to be fishing. That's the most prime time to catch fish. And they didn't catch anything. And the next day, Jesus is teaching. And then he helps them catch so many fish that they were astonished. Just picture this, being astonished about the catch of fish. A miracle. These guys fish every single day, and they had never caught this many fish. But it wasn't about the fish. Afterwards, he never takes them out fishing again for fish. He prophesies to them and says, from now on, you will be catching men or you will be catching people. Do you know that that's God's desire for your life? It, to get in the midst of your circumstances, the midst of what you have going on and all of your expertise, because Simon was an expert fisherman. These were all professionals. And Jesus steps in, gets in the middle of what they have going on and says, hey, I actually have something greater for you. That though you're good at this, this is not all I have for you. How many of you guys know that the things that you are good at are not the full extent of your purpose? They're just a part of it. And your purpose is not limited to the things that you're good at. Your purpose is not limited to the things that you're talented at. Your purpose is not limited to your resume. It's not limited to your experience. But it's, it's built on the rock of Jesus being involved, being the center, being the foundation of your life. So Jesus gets involved and says, hey, I actually have something bigger for you. You're going to be catching people from now on. And then if you fast forward a, a little further in the scriptures, you see the fulfillment of Jesus's prophecy because he, he starts with Simon 
getting him this amazing catch of fish, tells him it's not about fish, it's about people. I'm going to have you catching people. And then if we fast forward to Acts chapter two, this is after Jesus goes to the cross, resurrects and ascends, and the spirit of God falls on 120 believers who were gathered just waiting on what was next because they had no idea what to do next. Jesus does all this amazing stuff, phenomenal stuff, is here for three years, he's raising the dead, he's healing the sick, he's preaching about the kingdom of God, then he's murdered. Then he resurrects from the dead. What is happening? Then he leaves. What do they do? What's the next play, God? We don't know what to do now. You were... The whole mission, like you were the person we were following. We thought you were going to take over the world. Now what? Well, he sends them what's next. He sends them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls on 120 people. They start speaking in other languages. It draws a crowd. And this is what Peter does. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he goes on to explain how what happened, what was happening right then was a fulfillment of a prophecy that had been spoken a long time ago by the prophet Joel, that, that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and his sons and his daughters, would, and our sons and daughters would prophesy and all these things would happen. And he's saying, this is now being fulfilled. And then he preaches the gospel to them, that the Jesus that you crucified not long ago like a couple months ago, the Jesus that you crucified is resurrected, he's king of the world, and this is confirmation of his resurrection that the spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, God himself, is now, has now descended on his people and filled his people and commissioned them to do something. And what happens next? They respond, it says that they're cut to the heart, they respond, what do we do? He says, you repent and be baptized. And it says in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine 3,000 people getting saved after one sermon? It's almost like letting down your net and getting such an abundant catch of fish that you don't know what to do with it. What do you do with a church that gets 3,000 people in a day? And we, many times we glorify the early church. Look at what happened, they had such great community. Do you know how much mess they probably had to work through with 3,000 people who just got saved yesterday? Now you understand why all of the epistles are writing to these churches like, get it together. You guys are a mess. But it's because God did a miracle. He did something that didn't really make sense. For 3,000 people to get saved in a moment, turned their lives in a moment, to believe that Jesus had resurrected and was God that all these people to be cut to the heart and to turn their lives around in a moment was a miracle. But Jesus had prophesied it. And we talked last week about the great commission that we've all been commissioned to go out into all the world and preach 
the good news. But we've all been commissioned to go out into all the world and make disciples. How's that going for you? I want to talk about that for real tonight. How's that going for you? I think there's a very small percentage of Christians who feel like that's going well for them. Very small percentage. And I think it's because there's a very small percentage of Christians that actually care about making disciples. We are so trained to just care about ourselves. It's not because we want to just care about ourselves, but everything in society tells us to do that. And so much of church culture tells us to do that. And so many times we shrink down into just critics, observers, and consumers. Do I like this preaching, these songs, these people, me, me, me? Is it okay if I do this? Well, God, well does God really have an issue with this behavior? Does, does God really have an issue with my lifestyle? Like, is it really an issue if I have this going on or if me and my girlfriend want to do this or is it really that big of a deal? And so much of our Christianity and discipleship is just that. It's not making disciples. It's struggling to be discipled. And I'm not saying it to condemn you or to criticize you. This is, this is where all of us live. Jesus has to change the way we think transform us by the renewing of our minds is what the scripture tells us because if he does not transform the way that we think we will never think like him but if we don't see the ways that we're not thinking like him we can't make any changes and I just want to tell you that this world is full of empty pursuits it's full of empty pursuits but it will woo you into making those pursuits and committing yourself to those pursuits and resisting Jesus for those pursuits, which are empty. Simon could have resisted the call of God and said, I'm good at fishing. I have a thriving business. I don't know how good Peter's business was. I don't know. It could have been a phenomenal business. What if that was you? What if God was poking at you to get outside of just yourself and providing for just you and money for you and money for your family and money for just your mission personally. I feel like that's what God is wanting to do with many of us. But it's challenging. And this concept of evangelism which is really what's happening here, I think is lost in many ways in the church today. Evangelism is simply this. To evangelize is to share the good news about Jesus with those who need to hear it. Very simple, right? To evangelize. It's a very Christian word, 
but it's to share the good news about Jesus with those who need to hear it. And the goal of evangelism is for those who have heard it to believe what they've heard. It's very simple. Do you know that you are called to evangelize? That you are called to share the good news about Jesus with all who need to hear it? Do you see Jesus as good news, though? Because a lot of the news I hear about Jesus, even from Christians, doesn't sound like good news a lot of times. And we have to talk about these things because I don't think most of us intend to come off that way. But a lot of times, what I'm seeing doesn't sound like good news. Sounds like bad news. Bad news, you're in sin. (laughs) Bad news, you need to repent. Am I the only one who sees that? And I'm just wondering how effective our evangelism is. I don't know where you fall on the scale. Maybe maybe you evangelize a lot. Maybe you don't. But I would ask you this question. How effective are you in sharing the good news? Effective meaning you catch a fish every now and then. Because if if we're not careful, we'll miss what Jesus is saying here. And I think that a lot of the church and certain sections of the church have gotten into a space of just yelling out news and almost expecting that, that nobody responds. And the world out there is going to hell. And I'm glad I'm not. But Jesus says to make disciples. So if he did not intend for us to make disciples, he wouldn't say that. And if he did not intend for a lot of fish to get caught, then he would not have given this illustration and he would not have said any of this. So the truth is that the harvest is plenty. The words of Jesus. He says that the harvest is plenty. The harvest is ripe. There's so much to harvest, it's the laborers that are few. The people who need to hear about Jesus, oh, that's everybody. Now, the people who will tell somebody about Jesus, that's what's hard to find. The people who will share good news about Jesus, that's hard to find. And scripture tells us this in in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What Paul is saying here is nobody can get saved if nobody shares about Christ. And the truth is that we need more than just what's happening right now. What's happening right now is happening to equip you to go share the good news about Jesus. And I think that's a mindset shift that we have to have when it comes to church. 
What's happening now is not just about, this is not the full extent of preaching the good news about Christ. What's happening now is equipping you to preach the good news about Christ. Look at the exponential effect. That if each and every one of us went and told two people, ooh, and they told one person, and that person told one, look at what happens. But instead, most of us, we outsource it. We outsource evangelism. Let that person do it. Let somebody else do it. I don't like speaking in front of people. You don't, you don't have to be a public speaker. What about talking to the people that you actually talk to already? Do you share the good news? And if that's a struggle for you, then it's time to start examining and evaluating and growing in that area. Because it doesn't come natural to most of us. Most of us have to be shaped. We have to be discipled. This is why what happened in Acts chapter two was years after what happened in Luke five. Jesus said, you will be catching men. And then he walked with him and taught him how to do it. And you have to know that your discipleship is under Jesus. That means as a follower of Christ, you are a student of Christ. And he has to shape you and mold you and show you so that, and then send you so that you can go. Amen? So I want to talk to you about a few keys to catching more fish. Because I, I think that's ultimately what we all need to be doing. And the number one is, uh, the number one thing is extraordinary things take place outside of your comfort zone. Extraordinary things extraordinary things, extraordinary things take place outside of your comfort zone. Extra means outside, beyond the scope of, or in addition to what is usual or expected. Extraordinary things happen outside of your comfort zone. You wanna know why? Because in your comfort zone, ordinary things are happening. Your comfort zone is your ordinary space, what you ordinarily do, where ordinary things happen, where you get ordinary results. And if you want extraordinary results, you need to step outside beyond the scope of your ordinary space because your ordinary approach will produce your ordinary result. Your ordinary approach will produce your ordinary result. Why am I saying this? Because in verses four through five, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. That means go beyond where you are right now. Take a step out into the deep, out where it's a little risky, outside your comfort zone of where you're hanging out right now, do something a little uncomfortable. That means Simon had to push out, put out into the deep. And he says this, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We did our ordinary thing and nothing happened. We're, we're the professionals and we know what's supposed to take place here. And we did what ordinarily happens. We did what we ordinarily do. And we did not get any extraordinary results. But at your word, I will let down the net. And the truth is, for Peter, he wasn't technically doing anything wrong as a fisherman. 
As a fisherman, he was thinking logically about how you catch fish. But that's not what Jesus was there to address. Jesus was getting in the midst of what he had going on and was showing him that there was something spiritual that needed to take place beyond just what, was, what he was physically used to. There was a spiritual reality that needed to be realized. God was doing something to glorify himself. And if Peter only stuck in the realm of his ordinary space, he would have totally missed it. He could have stopped there. Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. I'm good. Because you and I stopped there often. Oh, you feel the tug, but I'm not good. I'm not good with people. I'm usually not effective at this thing. Oh, I usually get rejected by people. I'm usually not comfortable doing this thing. And so I'm going to stay in my zone, in my realm of comfort. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus does not plan to leave you where you're comfortable. It's just not realistic. You're not going to find anybody's life in scripture where he left them in their comfortable space. Because nothing extraordinary happens in your ordinary place and in your ordinary routine. And so sometimes you're doing the right things from a purely natural standpoint, and yet God is calling you to do something because he wants to do something supernatural. And the truth is, when it comes to our calling, when it comes to our purpose, many times we are missing the key ingredient of God and how God wants to operate and how God wants to move, and we'll make the mistake of boxing him in to our plan, our structure, and our ordinary way of thinking and behaving. Has anybody experienced that? That there's a tendency to be like, God, I wanna do this this way. If I can only imagine what was happening in Simon's mind as Jesus is telling him, put out into the deep and let down your nets. He obviously is thinking, this is about to be a waste of time. This guy doesn't know anything about fishing. And it said that he was washing his nets. Like he was done. He was done. You and I, most of us would have tapped out right there. But he did the wise thing and said, but at your word, I'll go do it. He stepped outside of the comfort zone and got extraordinary results. But I think for us, in order to really understand this key, we have to ask this question. What makes your comfort zone comfortable? I want us to just get really practical tonight because the truth is there are things holding us back from actually reaching people. And if we stay within the realm of comfort, we're not going to reach who God really has called us to reach and we're not gonna experience the fulfillment that comes with walking in the will of God. And I would say your comfort zone is where a few things happen. We don't experience resistance. We don't experience criticism. We don't make significant sacrifices. Everything makes sense. 
and we can succeed with seemingly zero intervention from God. I want us to leave that up there for a second. This is what makes your comfort zone comfortable because you don't really want resistance. I don't really want resistance. We don't want criticism, but you taking a a different approach to anything is ultimately gonna come with criticism. We don't wanna make significant sacrifices. Anybody in here just love sacrifice? None of us do, but it's necessary. Look at the sacrifice that Jesus is calling Peter to make. Step out into an uncomfortable space. Go out into the deep after you already wash your nets, after you just listened to me preach for three hours. Go out and do this thing that you really don't want to do. This is where you're going to experience some potential criticism from other fishermen. Like, what are these guys doing? Going out there in the middle of the day. You're supposed to fish at night. You're supposed to fish in this particular space. But look at these guys. And what inevitably there has to be some thoughts in their mind. What if we go out here and catch nothing? This is going to feel dumb. And for you, you likely will feel the same things. What if I put in all this work and I just get resistance and I get criticism and I just make sacrifices and nothing makes sense? But this bottom one is, is I think, a sneaky one. Our comfort zone is where we can succeed with seemingly zero intervention from God. This is where most of us actually want to be. We want to be in a space that doesn't really require a miracle. We want to be in a space where everything kind of makes sense and we can achieve what we achieve based on our own talents and abilities. We think within the realm of our abilities and then we can credit God afterwards, even though we don't really know if it was him. Like it made sense. It kind of made sense. Like that's how we think. I realized my dream. I accomplished it. Thank you, God. I haven't talked to you in three years, but... I know you up there because this is what happened. It's like if Peter had caught a bunch of fish the night before. He's just a good fisherman and he can thank God. He's a Jew. Oh, thank you, God, for the fish I caught last night because I'm such a great fisherman. And that could have been the extent. But look at what happened here. And one of the things that I mentioned last time I preached this passage was that, was that human failure set the scene for God's glory. It was the fact that Peter had not caught fish before. It was the fact that Peter had failed. And it was the fact that right here, he could only succeed with obvious intervention from God. That's what set the scene for God's glory. We can put that slide down now. That's what set the scene for God's glory, is that... God had to intervene. That's what made it an obvious miracle. So for you, it's the same thing. Outside of your comfort zone is where God really starts getting glory. Because now you're out here and there's a risk involved. If God doesn't come through, it won't get done. If God doesn't come through, nobody will believe God said it. If God doesn't come through and bring some results, I just look like a failure. And can I tell you that time and time again, when I look at the scriptures, that's where God shows up. It's when when he brings the Israelites into the promised land and one of the first places they're taking over is a city called Jericho. And he doesn't have them 
put snipers on the roof. He doesn't have them just go in there and brawl. He has them walk around the walls of the city seven times for seven days. And then on the last time, he has them let out a huge shout. Just imagine how anticlimactic it would be if nothing happened. <laughs> just we've been walking seven days and we go, Rah! and everybody in Jericho is just like, What are they screaming for? That's the risk you and I take obeying God. Yeah, that's the risk you take actually obeying God. Like, what if, what if you're dating and you, and you follow God's instruction for your sexual life? Right? <laughs> Clapping because it hurts. But, but really though, but really though, we, we love these safety nets and we always wanna take the easy way. Oh, I mean, going the way everybody else goes and doing everything that your flesh inclines you to do is where you experience no resistance, no criticism, right? You're just doing the easy thing. And to go God's way, to say, hey, I'm not going to have sex before I get married. In this world and in this society is like rolling the dice in everybody's mind because of the way that we think. When the truth is that having sex outside the safety and the covenant of marriage is where you're rolling the dice. No, actually, there, there aren't statistics everywhere about the dangers of sex inside marriage. Can you find me any statistics about how dangerous it is for, for a man and a woman to be faithfully faithful to each other and have sex with just each other as a married couple? Anybody pull up the statistics? Email them to me, please, about the dangers of it. You're not going to find it. What you're going to find is all the risks that we take doing whatever we want to do and experiencing no resistance and experiencing no criticism and being in our comfort zones. And the world is telling you that you're enslaved to everything that your body tells you to do and everything that your mind wants you to do. And God is telling you that you are not enslaved and that you can obey him and that you will actually get the most positive results from it. That's what I experienced in my marriage. It's the best relationship I've had, hands down. And for us, Personally, it was our first time trying this approach. And I've seen in hindsight why it's the best way. But you better believe it's come with some sacrifice. Yeah, somebody said, amen. Look, <laughs> it comes with some sacrifice, some inconvenience. We want God to make it easy for us. 
But the truth is that it's outside, outside the comfort zone, things start getting sacrificial. Things start getting costly. If you start actually following Jesus for real, for real, like living like Jesus, I'm not talking about just going to church. I'm not talking about just being churchy. I'm talking about being like Jesus. You know there's going to be some resistance. Your own family may criticize you. Sometimes they could be the worst. The people who are closest to you right now may criticize you. But if you stay where you are doing what you're doing, you're going to get the same results you're getting right now. Anybody want more for their life than what they have right now? Extraordinary things happen when you step outside of your comfort zone. And your comfort zone will leave you stagnant and will not bring glory to God. You end up stuck. Number two, trusting God is the solution to your fear. Why am I saying that? Because <laughs> a huge opponent to you actually going out here, stepping into the deep, catching fish, actually impacting people, making a difference in people's lives, introducing people to Christ is your own fear. And trusting God is the solution to your fear. But all of us have to navigate and battle fear. Fear disguises itself in a lot of different ways. To you, you may not feel like you're afraid. To you, you may just feel like you're bitter, jaded, cynical, feeling inadequate. Fear can hide itself in a lot of different emotions, but, but the root behind it is you're afraid. This is why every time God commissions somebody, every time God sends somebody, we see him tell them not to be afraid. We saw it last week when we were reading where he commissioned Joshua. He said, do not be afraid. Be, be strong and courageous. And Jesus said to the disciples, he said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. He knows that one of our biggest obstacles is fear. The truth is that one of your greatest obstacles to actually obeying God, following his commands, praying like you need to pray, uh, evangelizing and sharing the good news with people, sharing your life with people, fear gets in the way of all those things. For all of us, there is always a voice that wants to creep up and tell us it's not gonna work out. God's gonna let you down. This is a waste of time. You're not good enough for this. There's all these reasons why you shouldn't do this. And, and fear is trying to keep you from doing what God is calling you to do. But in, in Proverbs 3, verses five through eight, you guys will hear Carl preached like all my scriptures in worship. It was phenomenal. That's how I was really encouraged that the Holy Spirit was moving because he didn't know that I was sharing these things tonight. Uh, Proverbs 3, verses five through eight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Trusting the Lord is your weapon against fear. 
And the truth is, if you had no fear about doing what God asked you to do, then you would do it with no hesitation. Like if you fully trusted God and trusted that he was good and trusted that he would take care of you, trusted that he had your back, then you would do what he's calling you to do with no hesitation. But if you have hesitation, it's because fear has crept up somewhere. This is why it was so important for him to tell Joshua in in verse nine of chapter one, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He knew that Joshua would run into fear, that what if this doesn't work out? What if I do all this and we don't win? What if we lose? What if I get killed? What if things go bad? What if God does not come through? That is our temptation to shrink into all the time. But I'm here to tell you that in, verse, uh, in, chap- in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul tells us God, has, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Why did he say that? Because we are so prone to fear. And so we need to understand that when fear starts rising up, it's not from God. Your doubt is not from God. When you receive Jesus and you receive his Holy Spirit, the spirit that he's given you is not one that makes you afraid. Some of us really need to digest that. Your timidity is not from God. You being afraid to step out, you being afraid to show up, you being afraid to be seen is not from God. You trying to stay within this shell that you feel safe in is not from God. When God gets involved, people get bold. That's what we see happen. When the spirit of God gets a hold of people, those people get bold. If you are struggling with boldness, it may be a lack of awareness of whose you really are that God is really with you, that God is really for you. And a lot of times that's a, that's a symptom of the fact that we've done uh, the opposite of what Carl was talking about earlier, how, how we need to plug ourselves in to the source. Many times when we get disconnected, that's when fear, that's when doubt, that's when discontentment, discouragement creeps in and can take over. And that's not from God. The spirit that God gives us is not one of fear, but of power, of love, and of self control. You have the power to have self-control. No matter what anybody tries to tell you, no matter what your mind tries to tell you, no matter what the devil tries to tell you, you have the power to control yourself. The spirit of God gives you the power to control yourself. God is self-controlled. And so when he's living in you and he's transforming you to be like him, He's giving you the power to exercise self-control. But you have to trust him in order to really exercise that. And trusting God is gonna be the solution to your fear. Some of you guys, God has been giving you idea after idea after idea, or maybe even the same idea, and you ruminating on it, and you're thinking about it, and you talk yourself out of it, and you argue with God about it. God has put a person on your heart to connect with, and you kind of feel like you can connect with them, but you go back and forth about it, or you get into conversations, and you back down. There are people who you know God wants you to share something with, and you back down, trusting God is the solution to that. Not being more articulate, not feeling like you have more words to say, it's trusting God. 
that's going to be the solution to that. If God has placed you in a situation, if God has placed you in a circumstance, if God has placed you somewhere and he's placed his spirit in you, then you have what you need. It's about you trusting. Trust God. You can trust him. He's faithful. All your circumstances might tell you that he's not, but he is. And circumstances change like this. But God never changes. And you can trust, even when your circumstances are taking a long time to change, that God has not changed. And the same God who was good to you before is still good to you now, and he will still be good to you then. That means even when people reject you, because that will happen, even when people criticize you, even when you experience resistance, God is for you and you can trust him. And you can trust you're doing the right thing when you're doing what God has said. The safest place to be is in the will of God. Scripture told us that 3,000 people came to Jesus that day that Peter preached. I wonder how many didn't. But you know what it doesn't talk about? The people who didn't. Because that wasn't the primary focus. The focus was on the people who did. God is concerned about the people who will respond to him through you, not the people who won't. And what holds us back is worrying about the people who won't. Don't worry about the people who won't. Worry about the people who will. As simple as that sounds, imagine how that would transform your actual life if you took on that mindset. I'm not worried about all the things that are not going to happen. I'm worried about the things that are going to happen. I'm not worried about what God won't do through me. I'm worried about what God will do through me. I'm not worried about what I can't do. I'm worried about what I can do. I'm not concerned with who's walking away. I'm concerned with who God is calling to himself and to me and to my community. There are going to be people who leave you. There are going to be people who leave our community. That's just the reality of life. And it's not that God doesn't care about those people. He makes it very, very clear. If he has 99 sheep and one wanders off, he will go after that one. But you better believe he still cares about that 99. And God does not want us to take our eyes off of what we have and who is around us and who God has placed us with and who God has called us to because we're worried about who we're never gonna have with us. Some of us, we are in a perpetual state of loneliness because we will only focus on who is not around. Instead of looking at who is. You can spend your whole life in disappointment and discouragement because you're only looking at what is not happening. We are all tempted to do that. That is one of the greatest tricks of the devil is deception, not changing anything about your circumstances, just shifting your gaze. Because you have certain things and you don't have other things. And if he can get you to take your eyes off of this and focus on what you don't have, that's how we get taken out of the game. Trusting God, trusting that even when I don't have, God is for me. Even when people walk away, God is for me. That doesn't mean that I failed. Sometimes you're gonna share some things and people don't respond well. You're gonna get better at what you do as well. Some of you guys, you're called to do businesses. Uh, you're called to start YouTube channels. You're called to do all kinds of things. And can I tell you that 
not everybody is going to respond favorably to what you're doing, but some people will. And that's what matters. But the truth is that we're all called to step out and reach people. And we have to trust God or fear will take us out. And the last thing is this. No one else can do your assignment for you. You cannot outsource your own assignment. It is for you. God has called you to it. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That means there was work prepared for you before you got here and the expectation is that you walk in that work and nobody else can do it. I mean, I want us to just close our eyes for just a second. And I want you to just think about this, that each and every person in here was crafted by God individually, yourself included. And there are things on this planet that only you were created to do. There are works that God prepared that if you don't walk in, nobody will. And I want you to let that sink in. And I want you to let that settle in. And I want you to allow your heart to settle down because God is not going anywhere. Your purpose is not going anywhere. Your calling is not going anywhere. It's here. It's prepared. It's locked in. It's set in stone, prepared beforehand before you got here. You can open your eyes now. And so God is not calling you into a risky game where the odds are against you and things might work out and might not. No, God has already prepared the work for you to do. Sharing the good news in the way that he has called you to share it. And each step that you take is a part of that plan. And what I want us to start doing is start looking around the place that we are right now, not only looking to where we're going, but to look around where we are right now and see all the harvest that God has for us right now and not look at purpose as some distant thing that we'll get to someday that we're just trying to work our way towards, but there's purpose in the future and there's purpose right now. There are people who need to hear the good news about Jesus in the future and there are people who need to hear it right now. There are people who you're gonna encounter later on and there are people who you're encountering right now now. And God doesn't want to wait until the next version of you shows up to use you. He wants to use you now and he's going to use the next version of you and the next version of you in each season. That's how he wants to work in your life. And so we're going to close here. Back in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 17 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. He wraps up how salvation takes place. That believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth is, is, is how we are saved. Believing in the work of Jesus Christ is what saves us. Confessing that is what seals us. And that we cannot believe a message that we have not heard. So some of you guys, you're coming in today and you're in, you're in the space of have not believed. But now you have heard. So now you have the opportunity to believe. And I don't want to skip past that. There's some people watching online. You had not believed because maybe you had not heard, but now you have heard that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's really Lord. He really lived a sinless life and died on a Roman cross to pay the price for the sins of the world and resurrected from the grave, a feat that no other human being has ever accomplished. And he's still alive. He's still commissioning people to share this good news. And he's still working in the lives of each and every one of us who has received him, transforming us. And so if that's you today, where you're saying, I need to take this step of stepping into relationship with him. I need to take the step of belief and confessing. Then I just want you to raise your hand right now. And here's why. I see your hands. Yeah, you can leave it up. Here's why I want you to raise your hand. Because what we're talking about here is stepping outside of your comfort zone. Your calling is to people. So you cannot make all of your decisions in private. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you're gonna have to do it in public. So, so why start later? Start now. And so your hands that are up right now, this is a sign before God and to yourself about the decision you're making. And to me, it would just be so weak if you only made the decision in your head and put no action behind it. And so first and foremost, you have some believers in here who wanna celebrate that you're stepping into the family. You're stepping into the family of God. We are not on solo missions. This is not mission impossible. You are not sent on solo missions. We have a collective mission that we're accomplishing as a team, we're accomplishing as a family, that Jesus Christ is accomplishing through his church. And I'm so encouraged that so many of you guys are stepping into that. And so what we're gonna do right now, what you just did was the acknowledgement, the belief, 
Now we're gonna do the confession. And so I want you to pray this prayer with me in this way. And I want you to close your eyes in this moment because this is a moment between you and your heavenly father. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are who you say you are, that you are the son of God, the most high. I believe that you died so that I could live, that you paid the price for my sins and that you have the power to forgive me. I receive your forgiveness. I repent and turn from my old life. I turn from my sins and I'm turning completely to you today. This is a holy moment. I acknowledge that I'm in front of you right now and that you're embracing me in this moment. And so I embrace you in return. I make you the Lord of my life. I acknowledge that you are Lord. I will follow you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Look. I'm so excited for each and every one of you guys who made that decision, but it also does not end there. Because the truth is, that though many of us needed to make a decision, so many of us have made that decision before. We may have made it last week, maybe we made it a long time ago, but I feel like where the majority of us are is in a space where there's a lot of room for improvement with us sharing the good news. I mean, just think about each and every person who just had their hand raised was not walking in relationship with Jesus Christ before tonight. And as a result of our gathering together and God moving in our midst, people came to know him and were saved. Do you know that God wants to do that all day, every day? He wants to do that in your life. He wants to do that in conversations. He wants to do that through your friendships. He wants to do that through your work. He wants to do that through creative ideas. But you and I, we need boldness. We need trust. We need to step outside of our comfort zones and trust God. And so I want you to stand to your feet and I wanna take a moment to pray and I wanna invite you to pray along with me because one of the things that Carl mentioned earlier when we were worshiping was that God was talking about the need and the power of prayer. And so I wanna take this moment to not just pray for you, but to pray with you. When I look at the scriptures, even in Acts, the church, they prayed together and asked God for boldness, boldness to speak the word in the midst of the challenges they were facing, in the midst of the persecution they were facing. And that's what I want us to do today. That's how I want us to close. I want us to pray that God would empower us, would give us the boldness to be the light of the world, to actually share the good news about Jesus. Is anybody with me? Because I, I mean this for real. Do I have anybody in here who's, who's really willing to earnestly pray this right now? 
If, if that's you, I just want, I want to see a hand in the air because I want to know I'm not praying by myself. Oh man, do you know what'll happen if each of us actually prays earnestly right now? I think we just got God's attention. I think heaven just looked like, oh, it might be some people serious. Because a lot of people are not. And God is still making his appeal through his people, calling all people to be reconciled to God. And the enemy is trying to place fear and trying to place discouragement, trying to place worry, trying to place doubt, trying to place inadequacy in the hearts of the people of God. But the spirit that God gave us is not one of fear. It is not one of timidity, but it is a spirit of power. If anybody wants power, I want you to engage. If anybody needs more love in their heart for their fellow man, I want you to engage right now. And if anybody needs self-control, I want you to engage right now because the scripture tells us that we are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he dwells within us. So it is the spirit of power, love and self-control that dwells within us. And so I know that he's gonna answer this prayer. Are you ready for him to answer this prayer? Are you ready to leave here different than you came? Are you ready to share the good news about Jesus with a dying world? Well, let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord God, we lift you up. God, we love you. Your name is holy. You are the Lord God, our victory. You are a banner that waves over us. God, you have sealed us. You are the Lord God who heals, the Lord God who delivers. Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord who provides and you are the spirit that dwells within us. So Father, right now we pray what you've told us to pray. God, we pray for boldness. Lord, would you give us boldness in our hearts? Lord, would you drive out discouragement from our hearts and our minds? God, would you drive out apathy from your church? God, would you give us passion? Would you give us zeal? God, would you give us desire? Would you give us a fire? Lord, would you help us to walk like you walk? God, would you help us to speak like you speak, to love like you love? God, I pray that power would flow through your people. Power would flow through your church. God, I pray that each and every individual in this place, myself included, would experience a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit right now. God, I pray that you would give life to our bodies right now. God, those of us who have been feeling weary, Lord, I just pray for an influx of refreshment. God, an influx of energy. God, because we have work to do. We have things to accomplish. There is still a God in heaven who loves his people. God, you are still offering life to the world. You did not come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so, Lord, we glorify the name of Jesus. It is the name of Jesus that is the name above every name. The one who sits above every power and authority and ruler over every name that can be named. And Lord, we pray that we would have the love of Jesus in our hearts. God, would you pour out love, love, love into your people. God, help us to slow down. Help us to see people. Help us to love people. Help us to be sacrificial and to be generous, Lord, so that we can reflect the heart of your heart, God. We know that you are not stingy. You are not self-centered. You are not selfish, Lord. You are giving. You are generous. 
Lord, you are not self-seeking. So help us to not be a self-seeking church. Help us to be a serving church, a sacrificial church, a generous church. Lord, I pray that we would have self-control. Lord, for each and every person in here who has felt out of control, Lord, we come against the spirit of delinquency, of rebellion. God, we come against the spirit of disobedience. Lord, we pray against every reckless spirit. God, we come against the lie that we cannot control ourselves. But your glory, you get glory through our self-control. Lord, for a world that's out of control to see a church that has self-control would be a beautiful thing. So Lord, I just pray for each and every person who earnestly wants to receive right now. God, I pray that you would plant seeds, water seeds, cultivate seeds in our hearts and in our lives, God, that would continue to grow and bear fruit when we leave here, God. And Lord, I pray that we would learn to exercise self-control in new ways, that you would process us, God. We know that it's not a light switch that you turn on. Lord, you walk us through a process by your spirit and you teach us how to walk in your ways. So Father, I just pray that you would help us to be self-controlled self-controlled in our relationships, self-controlled in our conversation, self-controlled in what we consume. God, self-controlled because that is what your spirit does for us. And God, I pray that we would see a tangible difference in the lives of people around us. Lord, you said that the result would be us catching fish. Not just ideas in our head, not just having more knowledge, but that we would see people get saved. And so Lord, we're praying in the harvest right now. And God, we're praying that you would help us to be good laborers, that people who actually care and would go out and reap this harvest, people who will go out and have the conversations that nobody else wants to have, have the patience with people that nobody else wants to have, pray for people who nobody's praying for, care for people and give to people that nobody's caring for and giving to. And God, I pray that you would get all the glory from it. And Lord, I pray that we would see this community thrive as a result of your work through your church. Help us to not be a stagnant, powerless church, God. Help us to not be just a place that we come and we gather and we get what we need and nobody else gets anything. But Lord, let this be a hospital for the broken. Lord, let this be a hospital for those who are far from you, where we get healed, but let this also be a school for saints. Lord, let this be a place where we grow, where we get discipled, where we learn. God, and we don't leave here the same way that we came. And we don't leave here with just our healing. We leave here seeking other people's healing. We don't just leave here with more light in our lives. We leave here seeking more light in the lives of others. And we pray that you would do all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.